1 Thessalonians 5.11 Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And you may be seated. At the beginning of each year, we tend to think of resolutions and we reflect on things of our past, as well as analyze things and set goals for our future. We do that in our personal lives. We do that in relation to business, things that we're involved in, and we should do that as a church, right? We should take a look and make goals and set uh, resolutions and... Um, depending especially on our personality or what Enneagram you are, that's the new one, we tend to especially be thinking of things that we'd like to accomplish and things that we'd like to um, set out to, to do as we go through this next year. I chose this morning to just uh, highlight a few things I think that are important for us as a church and for me personally. I've entitled the sermon, Five Marks of a Healthy Church. And I've taken the um, text, um, taken the, the sermon from the text here in 1 Thessalonians 5. And I give a hat tip to the men who gathered on Wednesday morning. Um, the discussion was led by Calvin Lapp, who talked on this particular passage. And I felt like this was the passage that God, I felt led to and drawn to, to, to teach or to preach from this morning. 1 Thessalonians is believed to be Paul's first epistle. Many Bible scholars would believe that it was the first epistle that was written by Paul. And I believe that Paul especially seems to be writing them with a primary purpose, maybe several of them, but he's exhorting them numerous times in the book and throughout the passages to be strong in the Lord. And Thessalonica was the capital city of Macedonia, the region there, kind of in the northern part of Greece. 
And it's an upbeat letter. It really is. It's an encouraging letter. I have found the book of 1 Thessalonians to be a book that I would choose for encouragement. Just honest, forthright encouragement. And I think that was Paul's intention. And he, Paul, I think, even goes beyond that, and he answers a few basic questions that seem to have been on the minds of these believers at Thessalonica. At Thessalonica. And in this young, early church, there was definitely, obviously, as usual, there was a barrage of false teachers. And along with that, false teaching. And they needed to be sorted out in that time. And that's true for today as well. False teaching and false teachers are still a part of the Christian church, unfortunately. And Paul addresses that. But even beyond that, I think there was questions that the believers were facing in relation to death. Thessalonica was under some persecution. It's probable or possible that some people from their midst had been martyred, had been killed off. We don't know that for sure. But even aside from that, as always, our lives uh, mark losses. Things that have been close to us for any number of reasons that have evaporated, perhaps, been taken away from us. Losses. It's something that all of us have in our lives. And First Thessalonians especially, but both of these letters talk about losses in our lives and how we can think correctly about those losses and ultimately, uh, as this passage points out, to live above, to live on a higher level, not, not pretending that the losses were nothing, but to use what God has brought into our lives as something for his good, for our good, for his glory. <clears throat> So I dedicate this sermon to you, the Weavertown Church, on this early part of 2020. And maybe especially for those of you who are new members, I think these are good verses for you and for all of us. Five marks of a healthy church. First of all, I notice a concern for people. Look at verse 11. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 exhorts us to be comforters. And this passage, this verse here in 1 Corinthians was already mentioned here this morning. And I agree. God has comforted us. And the reason that we are comforted many times is so that we can comfort others. And he says that we are to do this in a collective way. We are to comfort each other. Comfort yourselves together, he says. I find that fascinating. I'm not sure exactly what all is involved with that. But comforting together means that I believe that we do something intentionally, that we do something thoughtfully, that we come alongside and comfort people for specific reasons because of specific things that the person may be going through or is going through at that specific time. Comfort yourselves together. There's usually the sorrows of life, losses, that we find in our lives. It creates sorrow in our lives. Other difficulties produce sorrow. And sorrow also brings the need for comfort many times. 
And on any given Sunday, on any given Sunday throughout this entire year, there will be people here in this congregation, in this auditorium, who are feeling deep sorrow, losses of whatever kind. And it's my challenge and my goal to come alongside them and to comfort them. Not so much to make them comforter, comfortable, but to be a comforter. Based on the comfort that I have received from others, but especially from God. And then, of course, in addition to the sorrows of life, there's also struggles that we deal with. Things that are out of our control, outside of the things that we can deal with. And it's important for us to come alongside each other and to help each other. I'm often challenged by the story. In 1992, 1992 in the Olympics were held in Barcelona, Spain. And Great Britain's Derek Redmond was one of the top runners of that particular um, Olympics. And in the 400-meter race, he was about halfway through the race when he tore his hamstring. And it was so important for him to finish that he hobbled his way to the finish line. I think he was in first place when his hamstring ripped, and he ended up obviously in last place, but he was obviously in pain. He was striving to get to the end, and his father, who was in the stands, made his way down onto the track and came alongside his son, and with his son's arm around him, they together finished that race. <clears throat> An illustration, I think, of how we can help each other how we can have a concern for people. Additionally, we also need to be strategic, I think, and thoughtful about how we edify one another. Healthy churches encourage each other. Encourage each other. See what it says there in verse 11? Not only is there comfort, but there's also edification. That means building up. An edifice is a building that, there's, that has a structure or a plan there is a series of events that take place in the construction or the edifying of a building, and they need to be done in a correct order, in a correct fashion, and in a timely way so that the building is able to stand the test of time. Edification, encouragement. <clears throat> the second mark that I see here, the second mark... is a confidence in leadership. Look at what it says in verses 12 to 13. I don't know for sure what and exactly how Paul was led to, to write or to encourage the Thessalonians. Perhaps there was misconduct or error or something going on in their midst. <clears throat> That's not particularly unusual for a church or nothing that we should be necessarily freaked out about. But the response of those, the response of the leaders in that time, and the response of the people who are being admonished, <clears throat> I, I think it, one of the extraordinary marks of a healthy church is that there is a correct view of leadership. And that, of course, I think starts with pastors and people who have titles to think correctly about their role. But even beyond that, the congregation as a whole has to have a correct view of leadership. I think it's something that we perhaps struggle with sometimes. We have not always done so well in the past. But I encourage you to think correctly 
to think biblically about leadership. A biblical understanding of leadership. Know them which labor among you, he says in verse 12. The word know implies respect and understanding. Respect them because of who they are. Leadership really is an act of influencing and serving others. That's really at, at its core, at its foundation. Leadership is an act of influencing and serving others. In a church setting, obviously, that should be pointing people to Christ so that God's purposes can be accomplished for them and through them. <clears throat> the instruction is to know the leaders. That means to correctly identify them and model your life after them. I want to say in the strongest terms that I can, leaders here at Weavertown are not only the pastors. We should be leaders. But there are many leaders in our midst, male and female. And it's important for us to identify those leaders, to model our lives after people that are capable and qualified to go alongside of us or maybe ahead of us, however you choose to look on it. We do not have, as leaders, biblical leaders do not necessarily always have a specific title. But many Christians serve others. And many people in this church serve others. They are leaders. And in spite or they may not have a specific title as such. And I think in this case, Paul is talking at least somewhat in relation to leaders that had titles, appointed leaders. But I'd like to just say that it goes much beyond that. And I'm sure Paul was also preferring or referring to that as, as, as well. A healthy church has a biblical understanding of leadership. Being at peace among yourselves, knowing how to disagree, I think says more about us. Disagreeing in a, in a, in a correct manner says more about us than perhaps almost any other thing that can be said about us. How we disagree, how we handle things when come, things come into our lives that are not as we prefer a healthy church has a, a confidence in leadership, a correct understanding of, of leadership. Thirdly, I see a commitment to a maturity. Look at verses 14 and 15. I won't take the time to go very deep into this passage, into this, these verses. A commitment to maturity. Notice how he talks about the people in, our, in their midst, in our midst, who are not responding well, how to encourage them. He gives specific instructions on how to, some basic how-tos to equip people, each other, in our midst. Not only them in Thessalonica, but us here at Weavertown. We exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. And you see different responses based on different situations, and it calls for strategic and thoughtful responses in helping people in these specific issues and these specific things that come into our lives, challenges. Warn those that are unruly. 
comfort the feeble-minded. And he talks about discipleship, supporting the weak, being patient, to hold oneself literally, to keep oneself opposite or unlike the earth, the world that is so obviously around us. Healthy churches are marked by commitment to maturity. Fourthly, I see a consistency in ministry in verses 16 to 18. Verses 16 to 18, consistency. I want you to especially notice these little bullet points that are given here. They're in the imperative tense. That means that you are the subject. The reader is the subject. It is our duty. It is our obligation. It is a command from Scripture to do these things, to find ways to celebrate, rejoice, Rejoice evermore. It is our responsibility to learn how to communicate with God. Pray without ceasing, he says. It is our duty to find gratitude and find things in life for which to be thankful for. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And he goes on. And I'd like to say that this is our final point. Cooperation with the Master. In verses 19 to 22, continuing this list of bullet points. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. It's important for us as Christians in 2020, to not allow the coals of the fire of our lives, of God, that God, the fire that God has placed in our hearts to become cold, to become indifferent, to become unappreciative of the Holy Spirit's influence in our lives. We're called to be flame keepers, to allow the, the fire that, is, that God has placed in our heart to be strong and hot, quenching the Spirit, Despise not prophesyings. He says in verse 20, I think it's, it speaks of having a teachable spirit, allowing the foretelling and the foretelling of God's word to, be, to have an impact on our lives, to be teachable, to have soft hearts. Along with that, we need to prove all things. We need to give things time, avoid impulses, avoid imbalance, Seek to look for things that are credible and that stand the test of time. It has the idea of a crucible or a furnace used for analyzing or testing metals and their duration and their quality. He talks about abstaining from things that don't pass that test and embracing other things that, that do Hold fast that which is good. Conversely, abstain from things that don't stand up to the test. Every kind of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Every kind of evil. Make holiness your heart's desire. Make it your goal. Make it the gaze of your soul to be holy. To abstain from all appearances of evil. <clears throat> I close with an illustration that I came across on a recent devotional that I received by email. 
Most commercial jets fly at approximately 28 to 35,000 feet above sea level. And there's a few exceptions to that. The Concorde, which is no longer in service, could con consistently fly at altitudes as high as 60,000 feet above sea level. You see, the higher the altitude, the lower the resistance, the less turbulence there is for the jets to overcome. There is less, there's thinner air, and it results in higher speeds and higher quality of flight. Military jets consistently fly even higher than that. The current versions of the U-2 spy planes can consistently fly at altitudes of 70,000 feet above sea level or higher. That's 13 miles above sea level. That's pretty high. In essence, the higher the altitude, the quicker and the smoother the ride. And I see some parallels there. I think we should live our lives. I think we should seek to live our Christian lives at high altitudes. You see, the closer we are to earth, the rougher the bumps, the more and greater the turbulence that we face. Many times, the reason that I struggle, many times the reason that I feel pain is because I'm so connected to earth. And if we can find ways as a church and as individuals to live at a high altitude where the things of earth don't pull us around as much. It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. In heavenly places, he says, in Christ. Our focus and our desire and our goal, our attention needs to be on heavenly things. God desires for all of us to live above the ways of the world. And he wants our habits to be heavenly, not earthly. Not predominated by the things of earth. Our words need to be wise. Our decisions need to be wise. We need to be examples in our jobs and in our workplaces. May our thoughts be pure and our words wise. May our spirits be cheerful. May our attitudes be turned toward Christ. And may God give us the wisdom and the power in 2020 to live at a high altitude. Reminds me of the song, the poet, Johnson Oatman, writes, writes this famous hymn. He says, Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's tableland. A higher plane than I have found, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. If you're able to kneel in prayer, I invite you to do so. Father, I come to you and I pray in Jesus' name. I ask, Lord, for your blessing on our lives. Thank you for your impact and your influence, your leadership in superintending our lives. I pray, Father, that you would help us to fall in line with what you have planned for us to accept your sovereignty. And in spite of our struggles and in spite of our sorrows, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live above that, to seek to honor you in our lives, not only today, but in this coming year. I ask again for your guidance, for your leading, for our congregation, 
And for all that are under the sound of my voice, I pray that you would help us to turn our attention and our heart toward you, to find ways to rejoice evermore, to quench not the spirit, to pray without ceasing, to be grateful for all the things that you bring into our lives. And I thank you for this passage of Scripture, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.